0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let us pray. Father, take these words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. I was reminded again this week that the fundamental human sinful condition is characterized by idolatry. Every human society has at its root problem that we want to worship something other than the creator. God made us. He made the world and revealed himself to us in Jesus. And yet, we want to worship idols. Now, this is not as obvious, perhaps, in our Western culture compared, for example, with some other cultures. India, for example, where gods that are worshipped are pictured and sculptured. But our gods are also many and include, for example, rationalism, the idea that only what can be empirically verified is true. And since God cannot be empirically verified, that maybe God doesn't exist. Or nationalism that our country should come first before anything else, or ethnocentrism, that our group is superior to your group. But I think most of all, in our society today, the most pervasive idol is consumerism. Descartes famously said, I doubt, therefore I am which came to characterize the worldview of the Enlightenment, Africa tends to say something more like, I am because we are, showing that their society is more communitarian than individualistic. But our contemporary society seems to have a different motto. I shop, therefore I am. Or as a bumper sticker would probably say, born to shop. Black Friday has long ago surpassed Good Friday on the secular liturgical calendar. We have divinized the market. I don't know if any of you watch business news on television and notice the kind of language that's used to describe what goes on in Wall Street. I remember hearing these phrases. Something happened and... The commentator said, we will wait to see what the market does. Personalizing the market, maybe even divinizing the market. Or or how about this phrase? The market was disappointed today. Disappointed by our lackluster sacrifices, perhaps. Uh, The market responded in such and such a way to such and such an event. Yes, we have many gods, but one of them is certainly our money. Well, into our idolatrous culture comes the Italian prophet Malachi, or Malachi. And just previous to the verses that were read for us by Eva, uh, we read that God has prepared something. Behold, I send my messenger. Actually, Malachi means my messenger. So he might be talking about Malachi, but it seems there's more to it than that. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who thrust aside the refugee and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. God is coming, Malachi says, in both judgment and in purification. The unrighteous And unrighteousness will be done away with. Against the idolaters of Malachi's day, uh, we see God moving against sorcery, adultery, swearing falsely, oppression of the poor and the weak. But God is also coming to purify. Our translation says with Fuller soap. Actually, there was no soap in those days like the kind of soap we think of. But there was a form of, of bleach which would turn cloth white. He will purify with, with this bleach or, and, and with fire. God will burn off the impurities. <clears throat> as a fire burns off the impurities in metal. You see, in Malachi's time... Some, some good things had happened. The people had returned to the land. They had returned from exile. They had experienced good news. They had, they had come back to their own place. But they had also experienced disappointment. Because although they had come back to their own land, and although the temple had been rebuilt... Still, they did not see the manifestation of God's presence, God's spirit in the temple. So they're wondering what's, what's wrong here? Why has God's spirit not come back? And Malachi says, in effect, be careful what you ask for. The Lord will come suddenly, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, and then will come the judgment. Well, this message of judgment leads to the question of why, which is asked particularly in verses 6 uh, to 12 of Malachi 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Verse 6 begins with talking about something of the nature of God himself. That he doesn't change, meaning that he is consistent. Actually, that he is faithful, that his character is unshakable. What we expect, since we're in the, mid, in the middle of a passage talking about judgment, what we expect at this point is for Malachi to say to us, God has not changed, therefore be careful because you are going to come under judgment. Well, that's there as well. But what he actually says is, I have not changed. Therefore, Jacob, another name for Israel. Jacob, you are not consumed. This is, this is an interesting passage. You are not consumed. You see, if God had not been faithful, if God had not been consistent with his character, Israel would have been consumed. But God is faithful. And in particular, he is faithful to his covenant, to his promises to his people. They are not consumed Because as it says in the Old Testament, from Exodus to the book of Jonah, over and over again, God is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You Remember that word? Chesed, steadfast love. This is why Israel is not consumed. Because of God's chesed, his steadfast love. He has not changed. But sadly, neither has Israel. You need to return, God says. You need to repent. You need to change. And so Israel says, how? Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, how shall we return? And God answers their question with a question. Will a person rob God? Will a person rob God? Yet you are robbing me, says the Lord of hosts. The word for rob here is sometimes translated in a bit of a watered down way in some of our Bibles. Some of our Bibles, uh, rather than using the word rob, say, you have cheated me or you have defrauded me. But the word is actually a very rare word in Hebrew, and it means to take forcibly. It is a violent word. This, what Israel has done is not a kind of what people sometimes consider a white-collar crime, a kind of crime that doesn't have victims. There, there are no such things, by the way. But God makes it clear that the crime of robbing God has real-world consequences. How have we robbed you, Israel says. And God responds, in your tithes and offerings. Two things, tithes and offerings. The word tithe means a tenth. It's first mentioned in Leviticus uh, where uh, we are told that a tenth Of all that Israel produces, and at the time what Israel was producing was agriculture, a tenth of all that Israel produces was holy to the Lord. In Numbers 18, we are told that that tithe, that tenth, is to be given to the Levites. The Levites, you see, did not have land of their own. They didn't have crops that they could grow. And so they are supported by the tithe of the rest of the tribes of Israel. The Levites themselves are to tithe what they receive for the priests. But it's not just the priests and the Levites who benefit from the tithe. All of Israel benefits from the tithe. Let me read from Deuteronomy chapter 14. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose, that is in Jerusalem in the temple. Deuteronomy, of course, is referring to a time before that. But in the place that God will choose uh, to make his name, to dwell there. And you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, if you have to go too far to get to Jerusalem, so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, go to Jerusalem and spend the money for whatever you desire. Oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household and you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns for he has no portion or inheritance with you. The tithe is not only meant for the Levites and for the priests, it's meant to celebrate. It's meant for all of Israel to throw a big party in the temple in Jerusalem. But Deuteronomy goes on, At the end of every three years you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the refugee, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So it's not just a matter of all of Israel, but it's especially those within the borders of Israel who are in need the widows who are defenseless, the orphans who have no one to take care of them, the refugees who have had to flee for their lives. These are the people that benefit from the tithe of Israel. But in Malachi, God says that they are robbing him not just in their tithes, but also in their offerings. You see, because Israel was not simply to give the 10th. Israel was to give offerings, the portions of the sacrifices that are brought in the temple, the guilt offerings, the thank offerings. Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers all talk about these offerings and how they are to be used. But the result of them not doing this uh, is stated in verse 10 of Malachi 3. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. You see the problem, there is no food in God's house. Therefore, the Levites and the priests are going hungry or having to leave their job as those who lead the worship in the temple and go back to farming. The worship of God is neglected. There is no food in the house, and therefore the widows and the orphans and the refugees are neglected. After the exile, Nehemiah discovered that this was what was going on in Israel. Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah says this, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. They weren't supposed to have fields, by the way. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. And then the wrong was corrected. But it seems in the days of Malachi that we're back to the same problem. The tithes and the offerings are being neglected. And to withhold the tithe from God leads to a spiritual problem. The worship of God is neglected. And to a missional problem, a social problem. Those in need are neglected. Malachi talks about our attitude to property, our attitude to God, and our attitude to each other. Because you see, if everything is God's property, then we should be willing to give freely of what we are given. A long time ago, when I lived in Kenya, I worked technically for the Archbishop of Kenya, whose name was David Guattari. David Guattari was a a formidable character with lots of energy and very clear ideas. The story was current that Gattari was once invited to uh, present the needs of his diocese to some donors. And so he went, and he went into the room where the donors were, and he sat down and was welcomed. And then the person opening the meeting said, Now, Bishop Gattari please tell us why we should give you our money. And Bishop Gattari said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought this was a Christian organization. I didn't realize it was your money. I thought it was God's money that we were going to be talking about. I'm not sure if he got the money. You see, thinking of property as ours, is partly true. The lesson from Thessalonians today tells us that we need to work hard. But it's only partly true. And it leads us to resent that God would want a portion of what we earn back. Let me read from a sermon attributed to St. Augustine. Who is preaching on this text? He asks you for first fruits and tithes. What would you do if he took nine parts to himself and left you with but the tenth? What if he said to you, Man, you are mine? Who made you? Mine is the land that you till. Mine are the seeds that you sow. Mine are the animals that you make weary. Mine are the showers. Mine the winds. Mine the sun's heat. And since mine are all the elements where you live, you who give only the work of your hands deserve only the tithes. But since Almighty God lovingly feeds us, he gives most ample rewards to us who labor little, claiming to himself the tithes only. He has given us all the rest. We think of what we have as ours. But not only all those things that Augustine listed, but health and strength and intelligence and skill and even the air that we breathe comes from God. All is his gift. So we need a new attitude to property. But we also need a new attitude to God, you see, because to be grasping, to be stingy, betrays a deep-seated lack of trust, lack of belief. And it leads us to think that, we are, that what we have is actually because we are clever, because we are good and great. We think of ourselves as self-made people. We, we like people who are proud and confident. A friend of mine uh, is a philosopher and theologian, and he used to do a lot of speaking in Christian high schools. Uh, and one, one of the things he would do is dissect the lyrics of the rock music that was contemporary in that particular time. And at one point, he was in a high school, and uh, he, he, he had known that some of Some of the parents of some of these kids were very worried about a band called Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, And so he decided to do some exegesis of Smashing Pumpkins lyrics. And at one point in the lecture, a student put up his hand and said, my parents have told me that this stuff is satanic. Don't you believe that any music is satanic? And my friend immediately said, yes, I do. There is satanic music. Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. How arrogant, how proud, how satanic can one be? How godless. Colossians 3 verse 5 reminds us that covetousness is idolatry. So our attitude to property needs to change. Our attitude to God needs to change. Our attitude to others also needs to change, especially to those in need. You see, we think that if things that we own, if our money, our property is ours, why should I share with those who have less? Isn't it their fault? Aren't these refugees who are coming to our border trying to invade us? Aren't they trying to take what is ours? But God has an alternative to all this. Verse 10 of Malachi 3. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer, That's a particular kind of very devastating locust for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field will not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now Malachi is getting to the missiological issue in this text. The missiological issue behind Money behind tithes and offerings. And the missiological issue is blessing. See if I won't pour down upon you a blessing, God says. Test me in this and I will bless you. You see, Israel did not begin in Genesis chapter 1. Israel begins in Genesis chapter 12 when God calls a family, Abraham's family, to be a blessing for all nations. God says that he is going to bless Abraham. He's going to give him a land. He's going to give him a family. And that through Abraham, through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Blessing is at the heart of what God wants to do for the world. And he wants to do it through his people. If the nations will be blessed through God's people, how is that to happen? Well, Israel was supposed to be God's exhibit A, God's display nation, God's uh, picture of what it meant to be the people of God, what it meant to be blessed by God. God wanted Israel to be that nation that other nations would look at and say, we want what they have. We want to be like them. And the people would stream to Jerusalem. They would come to Mount Zion to learn God's ways. This is all through the Psalms and the prophets. This idea of a pilgrimage of the nations to Israel, to Jerusalem, to learn about God's ways. But Israel, time and time again, failed in being a light to the nations, being a blessing to the nations. So once again in Malachi, God offers blessing. He says, I will pour down blessing and people will look at you and they will call you blessed. They will call you a land of delight. They will want to know why you have been so blessed then at the end of the chapter, Malachi says this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more. You shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. God does not change, Malachi says. He is consistent in his character. Therefore, we are not consumed. Much more than that, much more than not being consumed, we are offered God's blessing. Even more than being offered God's blessing, we are offered a chance to have our name written in His book of remembrance. And even more than simply having our names written in His book, it says we are His treasured possession. Older translations of the Old Testament say, that we are God's jewels. Uh, when I was a little kid in Sunday school, we used to sing a little song about this. When he cometh, when he cometh to, to uh, make up his jewels, all his jewels, precious jewels, his loved and his own. That's who we are to God. We are his treasured possession. We are his jewels. We've been reading from the last book in the Old Testament, but the last book in the New Testament speaks more about this. Because in the the end of the book of Revelation, we are told that the bride of Christ descends from heaven to earth. And then that vision changes and the bride becomes a city, the new Jerusalem. And that city consists of, is made up of, Jewels. we are precious to God we are so loved by God he has given us everything that there is he asks only that we remember that we remember that what has been given to us came from him and that we should give back that we should give back both for the sake of his worship, but also for the sake of those in need, those who are helpless, the widows, the orphans, the refugees, so that people around the world, so that all of the nations will see that God has blessed us and turn and say, we want to be part of that blessing that blessing of knowing that we are loved and treasured by God. Let us pray together. Father, all that we have is yours. All that we are is yours. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you come to the aid of those in need and that you want to come to the aid of those in need through us. Help us to know that your blessing can turn to the blessing of the nations. All this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.